Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hello and welcome. My name is Rochelle Lucero, and you are listening to the Clumsy Theosis podcast. This is the place to transform the world by letting the Lord transform you, because... Theosis is all about transformation, isn't it? Now, there are three women I must mention by name, Sherry Minter, Vicki McGuire, and Dominica Laurie. These three women are the most recent donors to Clumsy Theosis. If you feel like Clumsy Theosis has been a blessing or a benefit to you in any way, please consider making a donation at clumsytheosis.net. This podcast is only possible by the donations of listeners like yourself. Now, I have big news. I feel like every week there's big news now or every episode. I'm going to try to get back to the weekly episode release starting next week. So we're going to have an episode this week and then we're going to have one next week and so on and so forth. Keep your fingers crossed. Say some prayers for me. But I think I'm in a place where I've got all this editing and whatnot down. Knock on wood. Okay. Now, towards the end of the last episode, imaginative prayer versus quiet prayer, I threw out the reminder that prayer is always prayer of the heart. Now, to me, that statement, it has a lot of dynamism. At least today it does anyways. But I can remember years ago, even when I was a faithful, on-fire practicing Catholic, that phrasing probably would have sounded soft and flimsy. And I, yeah, I, I would probably have shunned that phrasing. <laughs> the way that we think about the heart all depends on our life stories, on our experiences, You know, sometimes we may think of the heart as being vulnerable, weak, or fragile, or even something that's not to be trusted. Or we might even think of it superficially. You know, we think of the heart as being mushy, or we associate it with warm, fuzzy feelings, or getting all goo-goo-eyed, all that. I mean, let's lay all of that aside for right now, okay? Because the difference between the Rochelle that would have rolled her eyes at that phrasing, prayer is always prayer of the heart, is a line that I read by St. Peter Chrysologus. He said, let your heart be an altar. Now, that analogy, it was new to me, but it's not unique to him and it's not new in Christianity at all. In fact, it's used by many spiritual writers and it's very true. Your heart is an altar. Now, just stay with me for a minute if you're not feeling this right now. To really appreciate the reality of this, we have to unpack the meaning of the altar. Now, St. Gregory of Nyssa, he wrote this about the altar. And, mind you, he was talking about the physical altar that we see in a church. He said, For this holy altar by which I stand is stone, ordinary in its nature, no different from the other slabs of stone that build our houses and adorn our pavements. But, seeing that it has been consecrated to the service of God and received the benediction, it is a holy table, an altar undefiled, no longer touched by the hands of all, but of the priests alone, and that with reverence. Now, I'm going to come back to this quote in a minute, but in the meantime, we don't have to look very far in Scripture to know that altars are a big deal. In the Old Testament, we know that Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and Moses, they all erected altars in the service of God. An altar, or the Hebrew word for altar, which I cannot even pronounce, so I'm not even going to go there. But the meaning of the Hebrew word for altar is a place of slaughter or sacrifice. From the time of Exodus through Temple Judaism, there was offerings made twice a day. 
and they were made upon the altar. They were burnt offerings. Now, the evening the evening offering during Temple Judaism, actually, scratch that, the evening offering between this time period, between Exodus and the temple, it was intended to cleanse the people. The Jewish people, they could interiorly unite themselves with the offering in order to be purified. It was kind of like a micro mini Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year for Jewish people because it's the day of atonement. Now, during the time of the temple, the priest, he would transfer the sins of the people to a lamb, and then that lamb would be slain. Their burnt offering, it would ascend like a sweet fragrance to God. Now, spiritually, there was a transition from an old life, you know, the old life of sin, to a new life, a new life without sin. So it was a regeneration, so to speak. As I say this, your ears might be perking up left and right because there's like symbolism and there's theology here that sounds very similar to ours, right? Now, the point here, the point that I'm trying to make is that the most holy day of the year for the Jewish people required an offering. And that offering, it hinged on, it centered around the altar. Now, today in Catholicism, as has always been, or well, I mean, hold on, hopefully it's always been this way. The altar is the center and focal point of every church. I mean, some churches have done some wacky things throughout history, but that's how it's always supposed to have been. And the reason is because on the altar, heaven kisses earth. The altar is where the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross is made present under the sacramental signs of the liturgy. Now think about that for a moment as it applies to the line, let your heart be an altar. If the altar is made to be a place where heaven meets earth in our liturgy, then this is what the heart is made for. The heart is made for heaven to meet earth, for the lamb who was slain, which is Jesus. Our heart is made for Jesus. Now, keeping that in mind, let's go back to what St. Gregory of Nyssa wrote about the altar. And I'm going to add a little bit of commentary here. For this holy altar by which I stand is stone, ordinary in its nature, no different from other slabs of stone that build our houses and adorn our pavements. But, now this is, this is what makes the difference. He says, seeing that it is consecrated to the service of God and received the benediction, and a benediction is just a blessing. So this altar has been consecrated to the service of God and received a blessing. Were we ever consecrated to the service of God? Have we received a benediction? During our sacraments of initiation, most certainly we have. Okay, so Gregory of Nyssa also goes on to say that it is a holy table, an altar undefiled, meaning your heart, if we're going to look at this in terms of your heart being an altar, your heart is a holy place. Christ's presence alone, just the fact that Christ has been present in your heart makes it holy. And we know that Christ has been present in your heart if you have received your sacraments of initiation. And this does not work the other way around. We don't make the heart holy and then invite Christ in. No. And that's even true when we're in a state of sin and we go to him to be reconciled in the sacrament of reconciliation. He makes our hearts holy again. Now, Gregory of Nyssa finishes by saying, no longer touched by the hands of all, but of the priests alone, and that with reverence. So whose hands are intended to touch the inmost parts of our hearts? The high priest, Jesus, and And I love this. Okay, even though he is God, he approaches our hearts with reverence. Gregory of Nyssa says that the priests, they approach the altar with reverence. The Lord does the same thing with us. Even though he's God, he is the almighty, he still reverences our hearts. That's that's so wild to me. Like I can't even 
find words. I just, I just can't find words for that. It's just so amazing. So here's a quote by Callisto Swear, who is actually a bishop in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Whenever I come across something by someone who's not part of the Catholic Church, it always reminds me to take a moment and pray for unity within the church. So I encourage you to do that as well. His writing, this quote comes from a writing of his um, where he was specifically talking about prayer of the heart. He said this, he said, the heart is the meeting point between body and soul, between subconscious, the conscious, and the supraconscious, between the human and the divine. This is like a beautiful and deep understanding of the heart and its role or its place within prayer. But it takes on like a deeper level of awe and wonder and appreciation now that we have the perspective of the heart as an altar. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was an episode I did a while back on the mass and I talked about how it was the source and it was the summit of our faith. This topic comes to me now because as it relates to prayer, the mass or the divine liturgy is the common prayer of the body of Christ, right? We unite our prayers with the prayers offered by the priest during the liturgy, and we unite our prayers with each other's and with that of the priest and the sacrifice that's on the altar during the liturgy. Now, if you don't remember what I'm talking about here, or if you're just new to the podcast, I highly recommend you go and you listen to that episode when we're done here. It's called Mass, the Summit, and Font. The reason I bring this up is because this is an endless cycle because the prayers that we offer on the altars of our hearts are taken to the altar of the church during the liturgy. And this is the, this is the physical altar where Christ is physically made present and then we physically consume him. Then we are filled with his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. And we, we've left all of our prayers on the altar, right? We don't take those back. The only thing we take from that altar is what we're given, which is him, right? We take him onto the altar of our heart. And when we do this, we're continuing the prayer of the body of Christ because Christ, he contains all of the prayers of his people and he is now within us. I mean, can the Lord get a mic drop right now? Like, you, who would dream this up, right? Like, I, I've barely even scratched the surface of this topic. I mean, it is amazing, and I just don't have the words to express my awe here. But, but yeah, that's the practical aspect of what I bring you today, right? You can use this in your daily prayer life. You should use this in your daily prayer life, in my opinion. But then bring it to the altar during the liturgy, right? That, this is like a practical thing that we do every day and then every week for our Sunday liturgies. I definitely think this is something that is worth meditating on more. So if that is something that interests you, I highly, highly recommend it. I do have a bit more things that I've been pondering, uh, especially about burnt offerings. So here they are really quickly, just if you want to explore them yourself a little bit more. So the burnt offerings, they were not always offering like sin offerings. They were also offerings of praise, of peace, of thanksgiving. And basically what this means to us today is that everything that we get is from God, is from the Trinity. And we are able to give all of that back to God. We should give everything back to God. Everything that we've received, as well as those things that we didn't receive that we thought maybe we should have received. We've all been there. Uh, like, you know, any of our disappointments, we just bring them to the Lord. So we can put those on the altars of our heart and then during the liturgy, set them on that altar. Also, uh, speaking about the Trinity, this makes me remember the Holy Spirit. 
And just like the fire consumed the offerings in the temple, the Holy Spirit's fire, it consumes our offering, which is our prayer, right? And he refines them. Just like the refiner's fire we read about in scripture, the refiner's fire refines gold and silver. And these are precious metals that need to be purified and made strong and made made pure so that they become, you know, an actual pure precious metal, right? These are our prayers. And this is how God views our prayers. He views them as precious metals. So I just think that's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Those are the only two uh, little tidbits I've been pondering myself. So that's it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, will you share it with a friend? Word of mouth is the most powerful tool to spread the word about clumsy theosis. So please consider sharing it. And don't forget that you can also um, send people to the Clumsy Theosis website, clumsytheosis.net. For those people in your life who don't follow podcasts, they can listen to everything there. All right. And if you liked any of the quotes or uh, external references that I mentioned, I'm going to have those available in the show notes. So look for them there. And until next week, right, we're going to see each other or talk to and listen to each other next week. Um, You can catch me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Clumsy Theosis. Please follow me there. Um, Reach out to me, to other people, and just have fun. Make some friends. All right, everyone. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.